Welcome to the show King Alfred's Diary, where we talk all about the history of Alfred, New York. I'm your host, Abby Sexsmith, and I'm joined here today by uh, Riley Watson, um, a senior uh, art history student here at Alfred, um, the school archivist, Lori Lonesbury Meehan, and my unofficial co-host, Delia Logan. So today we're going to be focusing on the Gothic Chapel and Castle here on campus. Um, so, Riley, um, you're the person who've done You've done all this research on both of those buildings. Um, what got you into that? Yeah, so um, I'm an art and design student, but I have a minor in art history. And I decided maybe about like a year ago that I definitely did want to apply for uh, grad school. So I've been looking at grad schools and I finished applying to three different schools uh, for a MA in art history. Um, and it was a lot of trial and error with my unofficial advisor who really helped me with this paper, um, Dr. Uh, Meg Bernstein, our medievalist here at Alfred. And of course, Lori as well was uh, very, very helpful. Um, but I eventually settled on the topic of Gothic architecture on college campuses in the US. Um, so I ended up starting a paper about it, but um, my original inspiration came from our two Gothic buildings on campus, which are the Gothic Chapel, built in 1851, and the Steinheim uh, Museum, the Steinheim Castle, which was, what was that, 1876? Yeah, construction of it was, well, that's when Jonathan Allen acquired it. That's so. when he acquired but it. In the mid-1870s they... was it, its initial construction. There we go. Um, so do you want to just like get into the history of the building first? Sure, that'd be lovely. Okay, so we can start with the Gothic. Um, like I said, construction began in 1851, by, what was his name, Samuel S. White. You're smiling at me. Well, so Samuel, uh, so Ira and Serena Sales, yes. right, were the occupants of the house. Mm -hmm. um, and Serena's dad was Samuel White. Yeah, he, so he gave them money. Yeah, yeah. He gave them money and he kind of like began the project to build the house. Um, they lived in the house for a little over like, what was it, like 10 years before they sold it to another uh, faculty member. Mm -hmm. um, after a little bit in, what do we have, in 1876, um, the university bought, or it was deeded, no, the university bought it from that faculty member for uh, $2,600, um, $26,000, my apologies. Um, and for a couple of years, it served as like offices. Um, there was a small library in there, a couple of classrooms, and there were even apartments upstairs for um, students to live in. Wow. And then in, in 1901, the School of Theology um, started up at Alfred University, and that was um, its like main building. So for I think about like 50, 50 something years, the School of Theology was based in the Gothic. Um, and the Gothic used to actually sit where Herrick Library is currently. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where um, the history gets a little bit more, like, interesting and, uh, like, compelling. Because in, I think, 1851 or in 1852, the School of Theology moved onto a house, onto a building on South Main Street, um, Lori has sorry, sorry, we're going to have to jump, jump ahead and said a century. 19. 19. Oh, I said 18. My bad. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, they moved to a house on South Main Street. Um, Lori has a better idea of exactly where that house is than I do. But after that, it sat empty for like two or three years and not a lot of like renovation or upkeep was done on the house and the school wanted to build Herrick Library. 
So the original plan was to demolish the house completely, but there was a really large movement of current students and alumni who wanted to save the house, to save the Gothic. Really? Because it had such a rich history on campus. People lived there. People um, spent time there. There, uh, We had a lot of ministers graduating and like going out into the world from the School of Theology, um, which... When did the School of Theology close? It was probably in the 60s or 70s. It was in the 60s. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But um, there was a really big movement of it. Alumni and current students, like I said, uh, newsletters, uh, poems, plays. Uh, people wrote letters and petitions to the president and to the board, and there really wasn't a lot of budge. The president did want to save it, but there wasn't um, enough room in the budget. And eventually, a woman named Hazel Humphreys, she was an alum of Alfred University, and she bought the house. She bought the Gothic, but she only had, like, limited funds and limited space. She lived on the corner of Ford and Sales Street, which is right across from the main parking lot of Alumni Building, of the admissions oh, building. Yeah, like, up on the hill over there? Yeah, Alumni Hall, right there. Um, and she moved part of the house onto her property. She took the west wing of the house, moved it onto her property, and kept it there. Um, the rest of the house was, some bits and pieces of it were, like, pulled off and added onto the west wing. Like, there's a... Like salvaged. There's a, yeah. yeah, salvaged. There's a bay window that they moved on um, to the end of the chapel, because that's what they saved was really just the chapel part of the building. They didn't save the other offices, the mm. libraries, the rest of the apartments upstairs, but they kept what they could, what they decided was the most important part, and probably the part in best condition. And then Herrick was built. But after that, they didn't really have a lot going on in the house. It's pretty much sat empty ever since. I think you said that you attended a wedding there once? I've been to two weddings there, and I know somebody else, one of our faculty members, uh, got married there. So my sister got married there, one of my student workers got married there. So it's an interdenominational chapel Mm -hmm. space, Uh, and so it has been used over the years, not heavily, but it has been used over the years for a variety of of events. Yeah. 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 Hmm. But they still don't do a lot with it, which personally makes me a little bit sad knowing and like seeing all the documents of people like so desperate to save the building like there's this this poem absolutely heartbreaking poem that I read uh, when Lori brought me into the archive room and now that it's kind of just sitting empty like I'm very happy that they saved it but we're still not doing a lot with the chapel so I think it would be nice eventually to see the chapel like reemerge as like a cultural center on campus. That would be nice. That's, that is heartbreaking to hear, like, yeah. all the effort, and then it's just kind of sitting there. Yeah, because not a lot of people know about it, because not many people are going um, up and down Ford and Sale Street. They're yeah. coming from, like, the center of campus. So it, it's kind of, like, hidden in on that corner under some of the trees, but... Yeah. But it's a wonderful coincidence, I think I would say it's a coincidence, that it sits on Sale Street. It is, right? yeah. Because Ira and Serena Sales <laughs> were the original owners of it. Yeah. yeah. So just back to, I just want to jump back to Samuel White for a second. So uh, if the listeners are familiar with the town of Whitesville, which is a small town in Allegheny County, um, not all that far from here, um, it is named for the Samuel White family. Hmm. So kind were of they just connection. like early settlers here, or did they do anything um, important? Well, the early settlers in Whitesville, but Samuel, he was an early financial supporter of the university. Um, oh. It's a very, very early on D 
deals of buying some land. Um, I'd have to look up. I'm not sure if he made his money in timber, like in the lumber business, or uh, where his money came from. I'd have to do some research on him. Yeah, because the university only formally opened in like 1836. So this was um, probably around the time, uh, was it President Kenyon or was it President Allen at that point? It was President President Kenyon. It was still Kenyon. And we originally in 1836 were in um, a house downtown and then there Mm -hmm. was a, a school building built down in the village. Mm -hmm. So we didn't actually move onto what we think of our campus until the mid, about 1845. Mm -hmm. So this, um, so the house wasn't part of the original campus land, Mm -hmm. Um, but they, uh, Ira was a teacher. Yeah, Yeah. it only became an official part of campus in 1876 Mm -hmm. when the university bought it. That's still pretty early in like the scheme of things. Right, right. Because Alumni Hall was built in 1851 and so that's our earliest building. Uh, And so you know, we kind of forget a little bit about yeah. the Gothic uh, also being built at the same time. It's like literally in the shadow of Alumni Hall. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Very literally. Yeah. And um, when you researched it, you were focusing on the architecture, right? I was focusing on the architecture. So it is a style of architecture known as Neo-Gothic. Mm-hmm. Um, Gothic architecture originating in like the Middle Ages in Europe. And the focus of my research and of my paper was about collegiate Gothic, which is a specific breed of Neo-Gothic in the Americas, um, because you would think that um, a continent previously unknown um, to Europeans wouldn't be a likely home for uh, medieval European architecture. But in the late 1700s, early 1800s, there was this principle of residential colleges begun centuries ago by schools like Oxford and Cambridge that allowed them to maintain a small town college feel with their like growing population and renown and um, accreditations and things like that. So Ivy League schools in the U.S., namely Princeton, Yale, and Harvard, began taking note of these principles and these practices that Oxbridge had already been implementing and somewhere along the way, it started to meld with this um, like growing movement of neo-Gothic, which had already made its way to the U.S. in the early, uh, I want to say like 1820s. Though there were a couple buildings um, in the late 1700s, but they began as residential buildings. They began as houses, some stone cottages and then some more like suburban style houses like we see in the Gothic. And the main features of that building that define it as a neo-Gothic style uh, house are the arched windows. Um, And you can see some of the tracery and stained glass um, inside those windows, like some of those stone and wood brackets, Um, a couple of spires and pinnacles, and then the um, pointed and arched roofs. Mm. So that's what, uh, that's like the main features of a neo-Gothic style house. But then eventually, that would turn into uh, more like grand stone constructions, especially when you get to the late 1800s and the 1920s is when it really picked up with like big like monuments. Oh yeah, wow. That's really cool that they chose that style to go with. Um, why do you think they did choose that style for their house when they first built it? Um, I couldn't say exactly why um, 
Ira and Serena Sales were interested in that style, but it was a rising style in the U.S. at the time, so it was probably, like, going with the trends, Um, but a couple of scholars have argued that um, both American culture and um, collegiate American culture at the time was really looking to emulate um, Europe, specifically Great Um. Britain. That makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Um, in, like, in the chapel, is there any, like, special symbolisms or anything? Or is it just mostly, like, a simple chapel house thing? It is, it is pretty simple, um, okay. because it is a non-denominational building. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so upstairs there are Qurans and prayer mats, but downstairs, um, there's a lot of Bibles, but there's no... Um, there's no cross or crucifix hanging on the wall, um, so nothing as like over as that. Though it is mostly used for um, uh, Christian, I would assume Catholic rituals, but um, it's a uh, it's more of like a clean slate. Mm. And are there like those uh, Christian groups and stuff? Do they just regularly use it today? No, no, the building really isn't in any use. Is it? Um, not Warren, that I, I think that you said yeah, the last time you had been in there was the 80s before you brought me in there. Yes. Um, we probably was sometime in the 90s. That's oh, when okay. my student got married there. But yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. Uh, there's enough churches in the area for, mm-hmm. you know, we, we also have on campus, like there's the university group on campus. And so mm-hmm. they get together on Sundays in Susan Howell Hall. But we have, there's a Catholic um, St. Jude's at Alfred State College. Um, there's a Union University Church, which is a, non, is a non-denominational church. Um, there's the Baptist Church. There's the Seventh-day Baptist Church. There, uh, the Methodist Church is actually, they combined. Um, and and then we have Hillel. So um, there's really not a need for like a particular group to, to use it regularly. It was for quite a while used by the local Quaker um, group. Oh, but right. they we saw, we more saw recently those, uh, log books right more recently they've been actually meeting in the Seventh Day Baptist Parish House because mm-hmm. um, the Seventh Day Baptists they worship on Saturday, and uh, and so that frees up some of their their spaces on Sunday for other traditional yeah. meetings. The yeah. Gothic Chapel is also very small. Like I think um, maybe you could fit like fifty or sixty people in there, but um, at the most, yeah, at the most, be like that would be that capacity. would be squeezing. <laughs> Yeah. No. It looks very tiny from the street. Yeah, yeah. Um, upstairs is uh, pretty empty, but that's where some of the apartments would have been. And we actually found something really cool in the closet upstairs. And I think, or you took it back to the archive with you, right? Yeah. It was a frame certificate of appreciation for Hazel Humphreys. Yeah. That somehow yeah. just got lost in the closet yeah. for... Hazel what, was a, uh, she was a character, I know, never knew her, but she was a well-known character and beloved around town, but she ran the Box of Books Library, uh, which was also the campus bookstore at the time, uh, and so if you're familiar with the Box of Books, which today has um, an edition put on in the 80s, so when she ran it, it was just the original section of the building, which is the children's section in the library, which is really small, um, and she was also a huge animal lover, so she was known to walk you know, like five or six dogs at a time around campus. And she was petite. You know, she was one of those that, I'm. you know, I'm not sure she was five foot tall. Um, but she had a, but I've heard, a great personality. Wow. That's that's a, that's really cool to know. And it 
there are a lot of dogs still here at Alfred, so I think that's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially there's a there's a lot of specific ones we could all name, like like easily. <laughs> um, Cooper's got to be my favorite. Is he the dog in? He's uh, he's Tim's dog, the the woodshop dog. The woodshop dog. Yeah. I'm not even an art student, and I've heard about the woodshop dog. <laughs> Everyone loves Cooper. That's kind of incredible, like the uncovering of all of like the personal like local history that has come from this. There are so many little side stories. I mean, we yeah. could delve into um, Iris Sales, who volunteered to serve in the Civil War. And when he returned, uh, he brought George Parker, who was a formerly enslaved um, person, back with him. Uh, and I also think he brought back a young 14-year-old uh, black woman with him as well. Um, and so he uh, at least brought back two formerly enslaved people. But as a member of the Seventh-day Baptist Church, they were very strong abolitionists. Mm -hmm. But yeah, made a big impact. That's great. Yeah, just yeah. watching like all the names being passed, like as they go around Alfred and just changing everything. And yeah, do you know if those um, people he brought back from the Civil War, did they stay in Alfred? George did. Um, I don't know. Um, I've seen the young woman's name on the census records. She was living in Whitesville when they lived in Whitesville mm -hmm. um, after the war. So I haven't had a chance to track her. But George Parker stayed and he got an education. Um, he did work around for the, uh, the townspeople, saved up his money, because his dream, which he achieved, was to own his own farm. And so he bought his own farm, ran his own farm. He got married um, to a black woman, um, and they had a couple of kids. And uh, they are both buried in the local cemetery down toward Alfred Station. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, his obituary makes me cry every time I see it. Um, oh, the one on Belmont Road? Is it that no, one? No, no. So there's that. So across from the Serbia Credit Union, yes, at the end of uh, Route 244, mm -hmm. okay. is a teeny little cemetery. That's the Stillman Cemetery because that mm -hmm. used to be all part of the Stillman Farm. But if you keep going to an Alfred Station, um, the gas station is on the left hand side, and most people have no idea there's a large cemetery behind the gas station. So that's the Alfred Rural Cemetery. There are two white pillars at the end of the driveway um, right before the gas station and so if you drive the driveway back up in um, I, well, I love cemeteries but it's uh, it's a great yeah great great cemetery beautiful my mom took me once and like I wasn't even expecting to see it she just turned suddenly and, like we could have been driving to a house probably <laughs> like, yeah you don't yeah. see it until you're like in it and mm -hmm. then it's like way bigger than you think exactly yeah. exactly and it's got all the big names there. Jonathan and Abigail Allen, if we want to oh, transition to the Steinheim, your, your description <laughs> of um, the neo of the architecture, and you're talking about Stone Cottage. Yes. Right? That's what the Steinheim Castle started out as, was uh, going to be a stone cottage. Yeah. So uh, Mrs. Kenyon, uh, the wife of the first president of Alfred University, she was German, and she wanted to build a stone cottage um, in its current location. The castle has not moved, unlike the Gothic. Um, but she wanted to build a stone cottage in the style of the medieval castles of her home, Germany. Um, so she began in 1875. And I think after three years, um, I believe the story is that she ran out of money before she could complete the build. I think she got the walls up, the basic skeleton, but she wasn't able to move on to the roof. That's when the second president of Alfred University, Jonathan Allen, he bought the building and he continued renovations. 
but Jonathan Allen didn't leave any blueprints or documentation or even like I don't think he even left any like personal like notes in his journal or his diary about what he was oh, doing. Man, I wish we had oh. his journal or his diary. We have very oh, little wish. of his. Nothing. So the story is that there were no blueprints, that he just built it. He, just he and Abigail had traveled internationally to Europe, so they had also seen castles on the Rhine in Germany mm-hmm. and a lot of the European architecture. Um, and they lived next door, so their house was right next door um, the where the Caroline Bell Tower was. Yes. Um, Huge house. And uh, very large. Um, and we have a couple pictures of the Steinheim taken from their front porch, which gives us a better idea of uh, both where the White House was originally and um, what the Steinheim looked at that point in time because we don't really know what Jonathan Allen's first addition to the house was. There's one like sort of it's like a semicircle and it's got like the regular um parapet uh caps that you see on the front of the building that you see like on like the the alfred university logo and things like that mm-hmm. um those like uh rugged like stones they weren't they weren't like masoned or anything like that and that's towards the back of the building that's was added on to the original cottage and our best guess is that that was his first addition and that his second major addition was the small tower the shorter one on the front of the building and then he added two more i think he changed a couple things on the northern side of the building too but he never stopped making renovations that was a living building until his death um, yeah, and then there was a there was the 1995 renovation where they added a more modern building onto the northernmost end of the building, um, and that's where the CDC, the Career Development Center, used to be before they right. moved. The offices and stuff. Yeah, yep. That's where they were able to add in bathrooms and the elevator, um, little mini kitchens, you know, to to bring modern it up luxuries. to more contemporary <laughs> time. So Jonathan died in eighteen ninety two. Just to put it in perspective, okay. for I was never able to find the, documentation of what he died. Okay, eighteen ninety two. So that's yeah. So the building necessarily stopped in eighteen ninety two. And then Abigail lived for another decade. Um, but they were both, I don't know if I'm just going to steal your thunder in the story a little bit. So they built the building for their own. It was like they owned it. University didn't own it. He was president. She was a, a teacher. They were both very strong advocates for women's rights. Um, she did a lot for the women's labor movement and just uh, collected material for to send to freedmen schools down in the south. Um, they're just an amazing and super interesting couple. But they also love natural history. So they would walk the hillsides and go on all sorts of trips. You know, there's a, she wrote a story of, um, they were on their way to Albany, but they took a side trip through the White Mountains in New Hampshire. She talks about riding a horse like up and over in the mountains of the White Mountains. Um, (laughs) And I've tracked her timeline and she actually, it wasn't that much before that trip that she had given birth to one of their children. And so I'm just like trying to picture a lot of like those details. It's really fun. 
But they love natural history. So they love geology, they love botany. So they would collect specimens, they would take students for all those mm -hmm. kinds of study. Um, we have a couple of um, herbarium journals where the students would collect the plants and then you know they would press them and then put them on a, in a scrapbook and then label what they are. Um, and if someone's interested in, in those, they're certainly welcome to come to the archives to see them. But in the Science Center, um, Dr. Cheryl Emmons is interested in indigenous plants uh, and tracking through a lot of that. And she manages a really large herbarium collection in the Science Center. That's, I, I find it fascinating. But anyway, so back to, I'm sorry, I'm digressing. Jonathan and Ab <laughs> Abigail had their own personal collections. Their house was overflowing. They had no room. So they needed a space to put their collections. The Steinheim. And then they filled that up too. Yeah. And we have a couple pictures in the archive of what the um, museum looked like inside the Steinheim. It's that uh, front part of the building where the towers are and a little bit into where the stone cottage, the original cottage was. Um, and it is absolutely full. Like every surface, every inch of wall space is taken up. They packed it full of so many different specimens and like anything they found on uh, their travels. And it looked a little bit more like a antique shop than it did a museum. <laughs> That's um, so cool. Became very eclectic. Uh, people are like, very. oh, Alfred's got a museum. Certainly they yeah. want my dishes, <laughs> um, the stove that my grandparents were given on their wedding day, my baskets. Um, but they, so there was a basement and that was stuffed. The main floor was stuffed. Um, the second floor was stuffed. And then there's actually a room in the tallest tower that was also stuffed full of mm -hmm. material. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, wow. there's the collection itself is fascinating. I have a lot of the records of mm -hmm. what was donated to the collection and a lot of the yeah. cards, the like the museum cards. Um, but let's switch back to architecture, Riley. <laughs> yeah, I'm pulling that up right now. I have a couple. So Steinheim, Steinheim. Why the name Steinheim? Yeah, I actually don't remember. Okay, I think you should talk about it. That's okay. Well, Steinheim is a German word. It means stone home in German. Right, so Ida Kenyon, uh, she was German, and it was going to be a stone cottage, uh, and the Allens continued it. So, Steinheim. Creative name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was never it was never used as a home, ever. No, that's right. It never served its original purpose because she still hadn't completed. I don't even think she began the roof by um, 1878 when she sold it to Jonathan Allen. And they never used it as a home because they had their giant White House right next door. Right, right. Um, he was quarantining there when he got, I can't remember if it, was, it wasn't smallpox. He got some communicable disease and he had to be quarantined. So that's wow. the only time someone lived in there. And then one of their daughters got married in there on Christmas Day. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, what do you know? Yeah. This might be a bit of a side thing, but you talked about the White House, like the big White House. Yeah. So that's where um, uh, they lived, the Allens? It was, it was sort of like the president's house. Okay. Um, but that, correct me if I'm wrong, Lori, but that burned down? Yeah. In yep. 1912. 1912. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yep. It was so, being renovated um, by some private investor yeah. investors, and, and then, yeah, unfortunately it burned we down. Don't, we don't have anything left of that. Now, Lori has a hypothesis that the stone, uh, like, um, retaining walls that you see in front of and behind the um, 
Carillon uh, bell tower, that those are part of the original foundation of the house. But it's a pretty shallow um, space before you get to the trees, um, but uh, the hill behind it. But I think you have a point with that because looking at the images we have taken from the front porch of the White House, looking at the Steinheim at the angle you would have had to get it at, I think that's exactly where the porch was. Wow. Yeah, I think so. That's so yeah. cool. It must have been to, just a, very a, wide and very shallow. In a grove behind that house are descriptions they used to have commencement in like mm-hmm. the 1840s and the 1850s. And then that's where Jonathan and Abigail got married in 1849, was in the grove uh, behind where the house is. Well, that could that have been where Anne's house is now? I think it would have to be up yeah. in that, you know, sort of where the road is. Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, grove and having an event means there's got to be a, some sort of a flattish space how mm-hmm. big i don't know yeah. but yeah because well, that whole hillside at one point we think of it right it's pine hill covered in trees mm-hmm. it was all bare it had been stripped bare because it was farm oh, there was actually a couple of houses up behind the steinheim um and so there are foundations in the woods still from those early houses okay. oh you can see some of them on the hiking trails up there but the whole hillside was bare Right, because we needed farmland, we needed the wood for heat, for our houses, for our furniture, for our fences, cattle. So looking for clay, we clear <laughs> we clear land um, for pasture, and so some of the we have some early photos that just show that whole hillside being bare and the houses before they're you know a couple of the houses before they're torn down. Yeah, yeah. So but, life anyway, life happened in an area where we typically right now yeah. think well, it's all trees, so there's nothing yeah. going on. But um, I think I I think going back to the White House, I think that was more of like what like a colonial style or like a. So if you think of the front middle section of Susan Howell Hall, that's what it looked like. Susan Howell Hall was modeled after the White House with the pillars and mm-hmm. um, that style. Because oh. Susan Howell Hall, when it was originally built, it was just the center section um, in 1930, the and then the 1950s, they I added the two side sections on. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so we do have, so with some of the like columns and some of that more like a colonial or even like a, like with the columns and with some of those like triangular like uh, roofs at the top, um, some of those like more like Greco-Roman styles, oh, yeah. um, the Steinheim was a lot more reminiscent of like traditional Gothic architecture compared to the Gothic chapel. And that's really just because it was stone, but it also had the towers. It had the um, parapets at the top. It had the arched windows, of course. Um, But it didn't have any spires or pinnacles the way we see on the Gothic chapel. It instead had this, I think of it as like sort of like whimsical like sloping very like abstract roof it wasn't um angled uh and pointed the way other like gothic style buildings are like the gothic chapel um it had a lot more character and that definitely could have been like just like jonathan allen's dream for the uh castle which is why it's so unique um and which is why we wish we had some blueprints of it but Mm -hmm. like laurie said I think he just built whatever he wanted to, added whatever he felt uh, the building needed. 
That's yeah. unfortunate, though. Yeah. It would be so cool. It's like, it's like our own little mystery on campus. But I really encourage people to, to do exactly that, because that roof line, if you actually look at that roof line, it is so funky. It's got to so be a roofer's cool. nightmare. Um, but to look at it from the side and then to go around back and even stand up on the hill just a little bit. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's gorgeous and curves in ways that you don't, you don't expect. Because it's normally, like lively. It it's is. not as. I love it, your whimsical. That, yeah, yes. it is, because it really is. It's not as austere as the rest of the building. Even though the building, like the Steinheim itself, isn't that severe because it has so much character in it. Inside that, like, archway at the front entrance of the building is right to, um, on your right hand side, is this, it looks like a hole in the wall. In, in the pillar, but it's not. It is a millstone, I believe, right? Okay, wait, so we're talking about walking into the arched entryway? Yes. Yeah. Okay, nope, so the, what looks like there's a stone missing, that was a grinding that stone. That was the grinding, grinding stone. Grinding stone, right, so. But there's a millstone in the tower. two millstones, of, so there's three special stones. If you stand and look above the arched doorway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there are three special stones. Yeah. So the first one is a millstone. Uh, and then sitting on that is a more of a square stone, and that has um, the number seven six on it. Mm-hmm. So that stone was placed on campus by the class of 1876, as yeah. gra- they graduated, and we want to leave they, something for campus. And they carved uh, 1876. Just 76. Just oh, just 76, right? And then there's uh, there's and on top of that, 22, 23 is another millstone, a very more slim. So there were mills in the in Alfred, mm-hmm. right? So they were using mills to grind um, their corn, their flour, their oats. Mm-hmm. Um, they were water powered. There was one uh, down where the post office is. Um, oh. The first one was built in 1823. It was called the Gorge Road, which um, got washed out in a flood, a flood in 1935. But that's where the first mill, um, Stephen Kuhn built that in 1823, and there's one in Alfred Station. So it wasn't an unusual thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so the top millstone has a 23 on it. And so that signifies a couple of things. One is that's um, the year the first mill was built in um, the town of Alfred. And it's also the year that Jonathan was born. Oh, I so hoop like did he put that in there <laughs> and thinking about himself uh, you know mm-hmm. and then just it's coincidental uh, mm. one way or the other but it's still fun and again it, it, until you stop and really look at the building you know these things aren't yeah. gonna jump out at you because mm-hmm. all of the um, all of the stones for the building were uh, mined or like taken from like local um, quarries and farms within like a three mile radius of Alfred so nothing like every part of the building is very specific and very unique to Alfred um, including Jonathan Allen's whimsy and his you know his vision so it's not like other it's not like other uh, collegiate gothic buildings that you would think of if you're thinking about like think about um, all right, uh, I'm gonna use the easiest possible reference. Everyone has seen, or at least has heard of um, Harry Potter, and you know yeah. what the castle in Harry Potter looks like. Yeah. A lot of the shots f- 
before um, the castle scenes were done, like interior shots were done at Oxford in England. Oh, really? Yeah. So, okay. So, oh, no, nothing. Sorry. So some of those, um, so that's like the original style of Gothic. Um, One of my nieces went to Gettysburg and she was a huge Harry Potter fan. And Gettysburg has some buildings down there, and they had a Hogwarts, and they had Hagrid's hut and everything. Yeah. So I just, I want to just jump yeah. back though, just for a second to the stones. So oh, while the okay, stones yeah. were gathered absolutely within a three-mile radius of Alfred, they are not all homegrown to Alfred mm-hmm. because they're glacial drift from the yeah. Ice Age. So they, you know, there's can be samples from stones, you know, way north um, that we might not have here, yeah. but they ended up here. And you can see that, like, reflected in, like, the topography and, like, the local geography and things like that. But, um, yeah, it's just another way that makes the Steinheim, like, super unique and very, very specific to, like, Alfred and, like, the long, long long-gone history um, as far back as you could possibly imagine. Dare we say outside of ordinary? Dare we say. (laughs) Um... But yeah, so that, what I was talking about with um, Oxford and Cambridge and those buildings, uh, beginning, like, Oxford opened up and I want to say like um, 1041 or something like that. Um, these century-old um, universities that have been building up their style and their credibility for years and years and years. And what we were talking about earlier with um, the U.S., both culturally and um, in the like professional and like collegiate um, sector, starting to copy and pick up on um, European influences, we see that specifically with the um, German influence of the Steinheim. Mm-hmm. Um, we also see it, which will be a completely different topic, but the terracotta in town. Yes. That was also a U.S. copying of European styles. Exactly. And that means, that really is all just is to say that Alfred has a very unique brand of um, neo-Gothic and collegiate Gothic compared to the Ivies, like um, Princeton um, and... Uh, Yale, especially Yale's Harkness Tower, but then there's all over the country. There's um, Pembroke uh, East at Bryn Mawr. There's the Cathedral of Learning that was built in the 1930s in uh, Pittsburgh for um, uh, Pittsburgh University. There's um, Suzlo and Allen Libraries at, um, I think, University of Washington. So all of these different, um, more like monolith style buildings um, and some that look like genuinely look like castles like uh, Pembroke and a couple others but there's also the styles that are a lot quieter like uh, you can think of um, Old Kenyon which is actually at Kenyon College in Ohio unrelated to President Kenyon of Alfred University but um, Alfred University has a very different breed of gothic compared to the rest of the country like in all of my research i couldn't find any other buildings that really had the same style and like nostalgia and uh feeling as the steinheim the gothic chapel was a product of its time it followed that trench so there's a lot more buildings all over the place there's one in rhinebeck 
New York, there's a house um, that feels a lot like the Gothic. It has a lot of those uh, similar styles, the pointed roofs, the pinnacles, the um, bay windows, the arched windows, tracery, things like that. But the Steinheim is so, so unique, and there's really not anything else like it that I've been able to find in the U.S. It, it sounds very, like, unique and just connected to Alfred in every single way. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. So, um, to kind of, like, wrap up, you, you've made mentions about pictures and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, are there pictures of, like, the Gothic and the Steinheim, like, in the archives? Absolutely. There are. There's folders upon folders. All right. I'm going to have to check them out. And um, any students or staff listening, um... Feel free to check them out. Absolutely. Yeah. Please come visit the archives. Well, um, I've, I've learned a lot about the architecture and history of the buildings today. Um, thank you both so much for coming. Happy um, to be here. Thanks yeah. for having us. Um, this was great. I hope to see you guys around campus. Um, to everyone listening, um, thank you and uh, have a good day. Hello, this is Abby during editing, and I just wanted to add that I forgot to ask one of my questions um, while we were recording. The question was, what should be done with the Gothic Chapel now? Um, We did talk about how no one really is using it, so I thought that'd be a great lead-in. So I did communicate with both Riley and Lori, and Riley suggested um, making it into a museum to showcase Alfred history, which I think it's a pretty cool idea. Lori thought it was cool too, but she raised the concern of resources and how there need to be people working it. It'd need to like, you know, um, have an upkeep and it'd be really complicated in like the funding. Where would the funding come from? Um, so that is just one of the many ideas on stuff that could be done with the Gothic Chapel today. So listeners, what do you think should be done with the Gothic Chapel today? What are your thoughts, audience? Should the chapel still be used or should it be left just as a ghost of Alfred still standing? Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>